We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on into the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is officially fish bowl season. You know what time it is. We're into July, so we're getting into the Scott Fish Bowl breakdown. We're also going to get into uh, some more difficult position groups to uh, to analyze for fantasy. We've been doing a lot of running backs lately. We're going to transfer over to receivers, get into a couple of tricky receiving cores. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner and Reality Sports Online. John McCagney here with Mario Puig. Mario got to participate in, I think it was the first ever uh, Scott Fishbowl live draft. They're doing a bunch of them all around the country. There were two last weekend uh, in Atlanta and in Chicago. I participated in the Atlanta one, and by virtue of us being in the Eastern time zone, we were first. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it was a cool event. They, they held it over by uh, the Atlanta Brave Stadium at, at the Battery, which is the area that they call it, uh, Brian Jordan former Atlanta Falcon and Atlanta Brave, uh, what was in attendance, kind of just hanging out with us. And uh, Mark Owens, the uh, the Atlanta Braves uh, stadium announcer, I believe, was also hanging out with us. And uh, it, was, it was a good time. Nice. Yeah, it looked like you were having fun. Uh, I don't remember what it was. This on the fourth? This was on Saturday. So the, the second. Second. Okay. And you've had, uh, yeah, quite a few... Uh, quite an eventful stretch of time right there. Uh, I've just been kind of like getting, uh, taking shelter constantly for severe thunderstorms, I think, the whole time. Yes, I still follow. Every week the... I need to have this happening, uh, but yeah, that's, that's all that I do. I, I still follow the, um, just just like all the random news sources for, from, you know, the like state of Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm. <laughs> I'm very tuned. Like Madison, uh, idiot, local idiot stories. I'm like, well, how, why is John following that still? I, I still got an axe to grind with the with the intersection at, at Park and, and Regent Street. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Um, so for those who are uninitiated uh, with, with the fishbowl, it's it's a bit different. So we're going to break down uh, my team 
and just a couple other stray observations from the draft. We did we just did the first 10 rounds. The rest of the draft will take place via a slow draft uh, right when everyone else starts. I think that's July 17th, something like that. Um, but it, it again, it's an interesting uh, setup. You can start two quarterbacks. I think you can flex uh, like any position. You get six points for a passing touchdown, but minus four points uh, for an interception. Um, you get points for for completions and uh, completion percentage. If you're over 66.6% completion in a game, uh, you get a bonus. And if you're under there, it's a negative. It's minus one point. Um, that's a big thing. And then there's also a, a tight end premium uh, wrinkle as well, where they get an extra half point uh, per first down and an extra half point per reception. So that that juices the, t- the tight end scoring and it makes both the tight ends and the quarterbacks kind of the the, the first positions that really get picked over. And that really presents a, an interesting way to, to form your team. Uh, I kind of went the chalky route. I went with quarterback and, and tight end heavily. Uh, in the early part, but, you know, some other people had to kind of steer into the skid. Um, Alfred, um, who works over at Campus to Canton, a good guy, got to meet him. He fully steered into the skid. Uh, we did a Kentucky Derby style, and, and he chose to, to be picking on the turn. There's a third-round reversal. So he's, he fires it off with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, um, and Kyle Pitts with, with his, his first three picks. So while, while everyone else was stacking up, either quarterbacks or running backs early. Um, he went the the double wide receiver route. And the, I thought that that was, you know, if, if you're choosing between getting the best two players at, at a given position versus like, you know, the eighth or ninth, I think that's a fine enough move. Yeah. Did you say this was the, the scoring was the type where you like uh, lose points for, how was it? Do you lose points for incompletions too, in addition to interceptions and like sacks? Maybe I remember last year there was a, a really nasty penalty for like you know uh, a turnover prone, incompletion prone player would oftentimes end a week with like one point, something like that. Yes, I, I think so. They they changed it so it's not quite as harsh this okay. year. It's it's. Well, I was going to say. Oh, sorry, but uh, by conventional scoring standards, uh, looking at Alfred's team here, I mean. Uh, as long as you get three starters, you know, you could do a lot worse. I mean, some people are going to spend early picks on quarterbacks and still somehow not get three actual starters. But you got Winston, Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones, and none of them are getting benched, in my opinion. So uh, as long as as long as Daniel Jones doesn't give him like a negative 15 with um, one of his bad days, then it uh, might actually work out pretty well. See, exactly. So that there's a couple different ways to, to you know, go about your, your roster builds in, in the fishbowl. And you don't always have to just go with the conventional wisdom, although that's what I did. But I, I kind of had the luxury of having the board uh, fall to me in, the, in that way. So we, we had a Kentucky Derby style um, pick selection. I, I took the fourth selection. So um, Jonathan Taylor goes goes number one overall. Then we got Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Not totally surprised that either of those guys were the first first two quarterbacks off the board. I went with Justin Herbert uh, with the fourth overall pick. And then I, I piggybacked that with Mark Andrews, took Nick Chubb in the third round. And then I took Tua Tonga-Vailoa um, in the fourth. So that that's round four, pick four. Um, and, and the thought there was that the quarterback crop was really starting to dry up at that point. And it would have been a pretty big cliff after Tua. I wasn't going to reach on a Ryan Tannehill. I wasn't going to take Mac Jones that high. Um, I, I wouldn't have minded him in, in the fifth round necessarily, but um, Tua, it, again, but, you know, we've been over Tua a, a, a ton uh, the, this offseason. I don't think either of us are, are 
the biggest believers in his. But I think that in this particular format where you need to have a couple of quarterbacks that, that are ready to roll and you also just have the, the team context around him that should be favorable. So maybe it just is enough between Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle to, to just kind of uh, lift uh, up to his production for, for fantasy purposes at the very least. So what are your thoughts on those first uh, four picks? Yeah, I don't think two is going to hurt you or anything. I do wonder, I mean, maybe I'm missing something with the scoring, but I noticed like Justin Fields went almost two rounds later. Uh, a guy like, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm just too high on Jameis Winston, but I, I think he's got a pretty nice setup actually uh, this year, assuming his ACL doesn't take him. Maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, specifically what I'm wrong about with him. But uh, two, I don't think will hurt you. And I, I guess it's also nice that, uh, not to skip ahead too far, but in the next round, you got Jalen Waddle. So if Tua turns out to be good this year, it's pretty likely that Waddle turned out to be pretty good too. And um, I wonder though, if it, maybe you actually gain something in this kind of format. Uh, if, if there's points per completion, Tua might be really good this year actually. Because if I have a concern with him, it'd mostly be like, I don't know if he's going to put up the touchdowns. I'm not so worried about him like completing less than 66% of his passes or, uh, you know, turning the ball over rapidly. I think he might actually get a lot of kind of just like empty calorie completions, you know, quick screens to Waddle and Hill that are only seven yards at a time, but keep the offense on the field just enough for him to, uh, you know, throw a lot of passes, even if they don't go for a lot of points in the real, real field. So, uh, I like your setup, I guess, the more I think about it uh, with, with that part specifically. And the rest of it, it's, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, the more I think about Justin Herbert this year, the more I'm convincing myself he's, I think, got a really good shot at finishing as the top quarterback. And uh, in part because I think Allen might regress a little tiny bit in a couple ways, especially as a runner. I think Herbert might do better as a runner in the future. He can definitely do damage as a runner that he hasn't shown yet. Um, maybe he opens up that part of his game a little bit. And uh, the other part is, like, if they if they sign Will Fuller, I mean, not even just him, uh, it's, it's so ridiculous how much a little speed would improve that offense of theirs. But if, if they just get it, it's just, you know, he could, he could go just completely nuts if they add someone like Will Fuller. Uh, even Tyron Johnson, obviously that's not what they're going to do. They, they, they're obsessed with whatever uh, route, option route things that they use on the outside with Guyton, and it's like, and even Tyron Johnson would just take the top off of the defense, even if the defense knew he was only running post and fly routes. So um, I don't need the Will Fuller signing to happen, but if it does, I'm, I'm going to get way too high on Herbert. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that we've, we've definitely, you know, touched on that and we were both, I think, surprised with the way that the chargers, you know, approached the draft um, as well in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's a good receiver class and, and there was speed available where, where the chargers were picking, but that, they, they, you know, kind of, skewed that a little bit so that you know the the Keenan Allen Mike Williams thing we will go ahead and uh yeah I think we can we can maybe squeeze them in at the end we're going to talk about the Broncos um a little bit later on in the show but I I think that uh that Chargers receiving core is certainly worth talking about as far as like you know your your ADPs and and how that's setting up because they're go uh Allen and and Williams going about um around apart from each other And, and actually in fact uh here's you know a bit of a talking point so I took Jalen Waddle in the fifth round, and I was presented with with the option of of going with him and pairing him with Tua, or taking Keenan Allen and pairing him with Justin Herbert. But I felt a little bit more confident in just going solo Justin Herbert that, than I did with, with Tua. Um, I, I'm I just feel like I I want the the sure thing with 
not that Keenan Allen isn't a sure thing, but I, I just feel like we've already seen his best seasons, whereas Waddle, you know, we, we could see a, a significant leap forward. So um, I went with Waddle over Allen. Yeah, I um, I guess I can't really get myself convinced either way. I mean, I think it was one of those situations where it's kind of just a coin flip to me. I mean, I'm, I'm high enough on Waddle that uh, I'm definitely not going to be the person to tell you not to take him there. With that said, I do think it'd be an upset if Keenan Allen had less than 100 catches. So, uh, you know, there's 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 some sort of security there. I just am not sure that – I'm not sure Waddle lacks it. So Waddle, on the other hand, probably has a little more upside. Like you said, Keenan Allen's kind of maxed out. Like, you're definitely going to get the, the usual thing with him, but you're not going to get more than that. Uh, whereas with Waddle, you know, especially if Tyreek Hill gets hurt, something might change – with his stock uh, in the sense of upside. Whereas if Mike Williams misses time, doesn't change anything for Keenan Allen. He's just going to get you the same, uh, you know, the floor is his ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ceiling is the roof as Michael Jordan uh, famously once said. Um, so, uh, so beyond that, obviously at, at, at that point I was, I was set up pretty well um, as far as the, those early five picks are concerned. It's hard, it's hard to like really screw that up in, in my opinion, you know, barring the injuries, but that that'll come uh, later. Um, I took Elijah Mitchell in, in the, in the sixth after, after, you know, we, we took a small break and I had a little bit of buyer's remorse at first because I was worried about, you know, what I would be able to get receiver wise and my, my instant, uh, you know, kind of uh, buyer's remorse came from Terry McLaurin going a couple of picks after Elijah Mitchell, I felt like I kind of forced my hand there. Maybe I didn't have to go running back there, but being able to circle back, get Amon Ross St. Brown, who is is valuable in this format, Elijah Moore, who I'm, who I'm high on, um, and Chris Olave, um, I felt like I, I ended up getting a receiving core that I'm that I'm very very confident in. Yeah, so I guess this might not shock anyone, but I'm inclined to think your team looks really good. I I would have made a lot of these same picks. Uh, Quite plausibly, Mitchell among them. I mean, I uh, I don't really have I don't have a strong feeling about who to put first or third among him, Antonio Gibson, uh, Josh Jacobs, um, even someone like Dobbins. I guess like I don't I don't have a strong feeling. Uh, but just the same too. Like I don't have a strong feeling about putting someone like Cam Akers or even like Leonard Fournette ahead of Earl Mitchell. And those guys went you know two three rounds ahead of Earl Mitchell. Mitchell. So. Um, it's kind of just a weird running back market right now, in my opinion. And uh, I think you got a good enough player uh, that you don't need to, you know, fuss too much over things that I think are just things you can't control, really. Um, taking a bad player there would have would have set you back. But Mitchell, in my opinion, is pretty clearly locked in as like a 20 carry candidate every week for this team. And as much as uh, the LSU back, people like to pretend, uh, some people like to pretend who is, you know, him being a third round pick, late third round pick, compensatory third round pick is going to put him ahead of Earl Mitchell on the on the basis of Mitchell being a six rounder. That's nonsense. I mean, Earl, first of all, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Earl Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell should have gone, <laughs> Elijah Mitchell should have gone in the third round anyway. And if you did, if you redid last year's draft, he would go in the third round. He'd go ahead of Trey Sermon. Uh, he'd go ahead of a lot of running backs who never should have gone ahead of him. So it's kind of just a total dead-end, non-starter uh, line of uh, criticism to me. And as much as I criticize other things that he's done, Kyle Shanahan, I think, is you know pretty much infallible as a play caller. So Lance is out there. Mitchell is out there. I'm a little concerned about the offensive line, I guess, especially after that center retired. But um, I, I think Trey Lance is going to be pretty sick. And I think 
uh, Elijah Mitchell is going to be, you know, the, the, the second uh, component of a very, sorry, just not the second uh, in line to Lance, but kind of like a, just in the backfield, it's going to be really tough to defend those two if you're a defense trying to key on them both. And then also with, you know, what Kittle does in the middle uh, off, off the line. It's just going to be really tough to stop those guys. And the other thing that people don't notice about Mitchell a lot of the time is he didn't have any big plays last year. He didn't have any 40-yard carries. That will happen with him. He has 40-yard carry speed, you know, so that's going to hit next year. I see room for growth. I don't see reason to think decline with him. Yeah, the, I think this run game could, could absolutely be stronger. What what you kind of laid out there reminds it as very similar ingredients to um, – the 2019 Ravens in, in a sense where, you know, Mitchell would be, be the, the Mark Ingram uh, in, in this particular scenario. Oh yeah. I mean, I see more usage, honestly. Like I think uh, the, the 49ers were downright dependent on Mitchell last year. Like people, some of the people who are criticizing him act as if he was taking the same like 10, 12 carry per game workload that Matt Breida did. No, he's, he was getting 20 carries. Uh, even with a bad knee, they were putting 20 carries on him. And they had no reason to be uh, to show such favoritism toward him, you know. Like he was a sixth round pick. They took a third round pick running back the same draft. They would they would have had every reason to every incentive, I should say, to try to see it slanted. But instead, they they found themselves unable to put Mitchell on the bench. So uh, I think he's a fixture there. I, I think he's going to pretty much uh, kick ass this year. Uh, I do as well. So I, I have a decent amount of shares of him in in, in best ball, and I'll, I'll be continuing to target him at his current ADP and. You know, for for this for this league, I wanted a strong second running back, and and uh, you know, you can just kind of, uh, I'll I'll have to kind of pepper the board with, with some some dart throws as far as that this next group of running backs once the draft gets started back up because it's you know a, as you could expect starting to dry up just a little bit, but there's still some good running backs on the board that I'll, I'll be taking a, a close look at. And then, you know, your, your thoughts on, on the on the trio of uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore and, and, and Chris Olave. I got a bit. Of, I got some some eyebrow raises, actually. I thought it was interesting uh, that I that I took Elijah Moore over Garrett Wilson. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know why. I mean, I think Elijah Moore is probably better. And I know it, it might seem kind of just baseless that I say that it's not. I mean, I could be wrong, but I have my reasons, which are that uh I think Elijah Moore is a lot more skilled as a receiver. I know Garrett Wilson's a better athlete, but A, I think he's only slightly better. And B, I think their skills as receivers are quite far apart. And that's that's not me saying Wilson's going to be bad or anything. I just think he is more toolsy than polished. And I think Moore is both. I think he's just, I think he's ready to really be one of the best receivers in the league this year. I actually would have took him ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown. So uh, not that I'm not that I'm criticizing that exactly. I mean, I like Amon Ross St. Brown too. Um, there were, there were a couple receivers in this range that I liked a lot. And you, I would have really liked to get uh, Allen Robinson, who somebody took uh, the pick before you, or Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, two picks before that. Uh, but Amon Ra, for the roster construction that you have, was sufficient, especially since you got two more guys that, that I think are going to be great with uh, Elijah Moore and Chris Olave. Not, not, to, not to skip Olave exactly either. I think he's really going to be good right away. And I, I think, man, even he might be kind of getting a little bit uh, – marginalized i think as people try to create intellectual space in their reasoning to to justify garrett wilson hype uh garrett wilson is not going to be as good as chris olave i'm just going to say that i know i know some people get really mad about that chris olave is going to be sick uh day one and it doesn't matter to me really whether michael thomas is there i think if michael thomas is there 
fine. Uh, he's going to be Jarvis Landry's problem. If he's not there, then Jarvis Landry has no problems, but neither does Olave. So I think, I think that's a really good group. And uh, as much as there might be like quibbling to do over which particular players were picked at which particular spots, I think your roster construction overall is coherent and, and soundly arranged such that they're, you know, pretty much all successful picks. Yeah, I, I feel very good about it, which always makes me nervous in the end because the, the drafts yeah, where I feel the most confident. what I'm saying. I yeah. Think <laughs> the team, you're going down. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a, it's just over for you. <sighs> Should have known. Um, but then, you know, going back to the, the Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore thing, I, I just felt like, Elijah Moore, he, he's in his second season. He's already got a year in the NFL under his belt. He's already he's got so a good, season. Man. Yes, I think so, too. He's got a year with, with, with Zach Wilson already ready to go. I'm starting to wonder if Zach Wilson might might be someone to, to keep an eye on for, for a could be, like uh, quarterback. He could be a little bit like Tua, you know, because like Garrett Wilson will be good. I mean, when I'm when I'm saying he's not as good as, as Olave, that's not because I'm saying Wilson's uh, going to be anything less than good. It's just Olave is really, really good. Olave is, in my opinion, substantially better than someone like Rashad Bateman last year. And I know a lot of people, especially in the dynasty community, have, have been seeing Bateman as kind of like the next Justin Jefferson kind of thing. Like, no, Chris Olave, if there is another one of those, it's going to be someone like him. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Yeah, Olave, like he's so polished. I, I love the landing spot. Um, I think he, I think he's gonna be ready to rock. Whereas like Garrett Wilson, I could see him. I just I think feel he's more like Ayuk, uh, a more talented Ayuk, but still more Ayuk than like a very innately polished receiver. Like he's just not innately polished. He's just kind of like a you know ball of energy and, and explosiveness. And he, he can run, he can catch, he can get open, run away from people with the ball. But he doesn't have that Jedi stuff going on. Not yet anyway, like, like Olave does, but uh, yeah, not to, not to run, not to reverse right over uh, the Zach Wilson point you were actually leading with, but if Corey Davis stays healthy, uh, not that that would be great for uh, Moore or, or Wilson really, it would be kind of like a Tua sort of situation with Zach Wilson where it's like, how can you possibly, uh, you know, make an excuse for failing with what you have here? And maybe he won't. See, exactly. So it's, it's, Potentially a pretty good group that, that the Jets have formed there. And then I, I guess my last like potential criticism on Garrett Wilson or, or a potential kind of landmine as far as him hitting the ground running is like, I, I don't feel like he has like a ton of play strength and I don't think he's great coming off the line. So I could see him just kind of having trouble getting into his routes a little bit. I guess it's a little bit granular and technical, but I, I think it's something to to monitor, you know, as we're, as we're looking at, at storylines coming out of training camp, you know, if he's, having trouble, uh, you know, getting, getting away and, and getting into his routes, you know, that, that could kind of slow down, you know, the, the trust that he's supposed to be building with, with Zach Wilson. I don't know if you saw this, remember this, but uh, I guess it's something like, maybe it's already been like a month or something, but maybe two, three weeks, four weeks ago, something, uh, there was OTA footage of Garrett Wilson running uh, what was ostensibly like a release and route. And uh, he was doing a bunch of like, Dante Hall stuff at the line of scrimmage, you know, Braxton Miller at the senior bowl kind of stuff where people post a clip, like, look how many cool jukes he's doing. Oh, that's so many jukes. What a great route. And it's like, man, he took like five seconds to run a five yard route. The quarterback died already. There's no, there's no pass. The, oh, my, my favorite example of that was um, a Broncos writer a couple of years ago was like, Ooh, Deshaun Hamilton. So crispy. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. I remember yeah. that one. And oh uh, just yeah. like he's just doing the salsa for like eight seconds. It's 
<laughs> exactly. He's doing like um, it's like do, it's like doing bad Stevie Johnson impressions. It's like he would he would do cool like foot tricks and stuff, but he'd be like running past you when he did it. He wouldn't he wouldn't just uh be break dancing at the line of scrimmage and then uh you know miraculously getting open for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm the, be be wary of, of uh, the beat writer uh, film breakdowns uh, that they often uh, miss the mark pretty significantly. Um, yeah. So we, we should at some point do, do like a, what to pay attention to and what not to in training camp segment. Uh, so it could be completely ignored and uh, just steamrolled in the SEO by some, some person who, uh, you know, left banking six months ago and, and start, got into football because they heard, uh, you know, you could get an uh, analytics job there if you say to cut the labor cost. Yep. <laughs> no, yep. You, you, you have it uh, nailed as, as per usual. Um, and then last pick uh, before we move on over, I uh, got, got our guy, Albert O. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to really say about Albert Equigwam anymore. I mean, it, it's, it's such a simple case I feel like, and yet it, it doesn't seem to get through that reliably. I can't tell why, um, and I, it doesn't make sense for people, to, for the public especially, to be like super uh, predisposed to Dulcich hype. And it indeed, like, there isn't even that much. It's just like a couple places in like Dynasty Twitter and some deep dive areas of fantasy football Twitter, you can find people talking about how epic Dulcich and his four inch shorts are and whatever else. But generally, it's like everyone's just kind of skipping the question entirely of, of the Denver tight end position. And that's that's weird to me when Okwagwum has all these conventional, just sterling good uh, indicators in his profile, and they can use him. Like, he would be a great fit with Russell Wilson as a downfield target, because uh, part of the problem with Russell Wilson, at least lately, uh, has been that he doesn't really throw well to the middle of the field, and this is kind of a common problem with short quarterbacks. It's like, well, yeah, they're, they're not going to be able to see, let alone safely throw the ball uh, through the you know the midst of these six six defensive tackles and whatever else in the middle of the field, so sometimes you just got to give up certain areas of the field and focus on what you can actually throw through. And uh, part of a way to get around that is a Okwagwum is six five pushing two sixty, so it's a little easier to see someone like that even if you're short. And B, he's got the speed, the four four nine speed to push the seam downfield. Like he can outrun a lot of safeties try to cover him who are 50 pounds lighter or more. So when you have that kind of just, when you can dictate the physics of the game like that, it would be an immense error by the Broncos to take his snaps away to put Dulcich on the field when Dulcich was a totally decent prospect and he, he'd be a really good second tight end. But Ukwagwinam should be one of the best suited to what they're looking at right now. Like he should be, other than KJ Hamler, he should be the closest thing they have to those Tyler Lockett post routes 40 yards downfield. Not that they're going to run the same look exactly, not, this, not necessarily it's going to happen at all. But if that's the, the route, if they're calling that route, Okwagwinum runs it better than anyone other than Hamlet. He runs it better than Sutton and, and Judy especially. So, you know, he's, he's faster than Sutton. I don't know if people realize that. He's, he's like 40 pounds heavier than Sutton and faster than him. So, I don't know, play, off the play action, you know, Russell Wilson with the deep ball to Lockett, I think that makes perfect fit with Okwagwinum. I love it. All right. So now, now I feel even better about it. I already felt good about it. Now feeling better. I mean, I, I would take him in a vacuum this year over, over Dawson Knox and, and Cole. Absolutely. Both, both those guys close. went over. 
Uh, Zach Ertz went went ahead of him too. So Dawson uh, Dawson Knox is like the supreme, uh, other than Dalton Schultz outside of PPR. The the absolute sucker pick at tight end is Dawson Knox. Yep, it's it's. I mean, you can just see the regression coming. He was catching a touchdown. It's on like the, a more obvious his version targets. of the Tunyon thing. Like the, yeah. you know how Tunyon had like fifteen touchdowns and uh, nineteen catches or whatever. It's like the mm-hmm. exact same thing. It, it, yep, exactly. So um, it, hopefully Knox is able to stay healthy so we can properly scold uh, the people who fell for it. Yeah, sorry, not that I, not that Tunyon could have. He, we'll see the version this year of the proof of that. Like he's going to get like you know seven touchdowns instead of uh, ten or whatever it was. Yeah. Tunyon, I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll always have that 2020 Tunyon, though. That, that was fun. I enjoyed it. It was pretty um, sick. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to stick with Denver, but uh, before then, uh, we got a couple of messages here. Got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Also got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You'll have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com and start building your dynasty today. We also got a message from our friends over at Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team. 
like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy front office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your metal. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code ROTOWIRE to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE. Get yourself that 10% off. All right, Mario. So again, we, we've been breaking down some backfields that have been, you know, I think some of the tougher ones to, to solve for fantasy. Um, we, we've given our, our pretty good explanations there. We've bounced around uh, what we do, like Miami, Philly, uh, Buffalo, New England, we, yeah, we're all, we're, somebody Ari, else Ari, probably. Arizona, Seattle. Um, yeah, so we, 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 we ran a pretty good gamut, I think, as far as like the, those backfields that people are just maybe not looking closely enough to or, or, or the consensus kind of has uh, the wrong opinion on. And I wanted to, to kind of flip that over and, and apply it uh, to, to receivers. And I think the the one that comes to the top of mind, again, we were just talking about Denver, um, is the, the Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy uh, conundrum where Cortland Sutton's is, is uh, settling in as a late fourth round selection right now. And Jerry Judy, um, a mid mid to late ish uh, fifth round uh, type of option. So not a ton of separation between the two almost comes down to, you know, basically an ADP toss up, not, not quite all the way there, but it's close. And, you know, it, I think everyone is going to have a flavor that they prefer as far as the receivers in, in Denver. And obviously it's a much more interesting offense. Now they have Russell Wilson. So, you know, what do you make of it? Cause Judy has a pretty incomplete sample from last year. Sutton now a, a year further removed um, from, from the knee injury, he was used, you know, way, way downfield this past year. Is that, is that going to continue? Um, you know, is Jerry Judy going to, to kind of bounce back? He, he had some things last year, even in that limited sample that, you know, I think we were pretty right on going into the season. You know, people were really fixated on his drop problems from his rookie year and his catch rate. Both of those uh, kind of returned to, you know, a league average normal. So that 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 stopped being a problem. But Judy obviously couldn't stay healthy. And he had a little bit of, of you know, a, a groin issue uh, during OTAs as well. So you, you could almost worry more about his durability than someone like Sutton, who has a torn ACL on his resume. Yeah, it is a tough one to think through for me, and I don't have any shares of either of these guys to this point for that, I guess, for that reason, probably. And it's it's a little irritating because I'm, I'm high on both of them as talents, and it's it's a situation where it's really easy to imagine either of them doing well. And it's, um, I guess, maybe a little, I don't even know what, I don't know who you would say it's easier to imagine, um, you know, failing because... I don't think Judy's exactly the um, classic prototype for, for a quarterback like Wilson, the kind of game that he has, but I also think Judy's talented enough that it doesn't matter. Like, I think, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. It won't, it won't be a problem actually. And yet, of course, there's only so much that can go around and even got a guy like Tim Patrick who's getting paid a lot. Like they can't cut him. 
Uh, they, I think they'll cut him after this year, but this year he's not going anywhere and they're paying him a lot of money to, to be playing, uh, you know, to, if they're going to pinch him, especially to make room for Hamler, then it's like, he's going to be playing 500 snaps or something and getting paid like $15 million or something. So that doesn't seem quite likely, uh, but I guess we'll see something has to give there. And I, I just don't want to, I, I can't say that it's Sutton or Judy. It, it would have to be kind of like you were, um, talking about at the end with Judy there, it'll, it'll almost have to be a durability issue explaining, you know, whatever result we get here, if, if one falls behind the other. So, you know, with that in mind, I, I, th- you know, I think that Tim Patrick is, is that person that I think a lot of fantasy managers would are just kind of like, uh, can he just not be the headache that I'm pretty sure he's going to be? He goes like almost a hundred picks behind these guys. It's, um, so he, it's tough. Cause I kind of agree with that, but I, I can easily see why that would be foolish, you know. Like it's he's he's not a bad player, right? At all. That's like the he's thing. Totally decent. Uh, the thing is, I think he is limited to a certain point. Like he's the kind of guy who just you don't want to bank on more than one target per like twelve snaps with him. Like I think if you're giving him more targets than that, the offense risks overexposure with him. Um, and K- the other thing is like Hamler is we have reason to believe quite talented and. I just think, uh, you know, Patrick is decent, but he's limited. And there's there's an upside potential with Hamler that Patrick just can't match. So I, I can see it being, especially in the second half of the year, something where, like, Patrick is more playing something like 25 snaps per game and mostly in the red zone, mostly on, like, rundowns. Because uh, I just don't see how they can really bank on uh, – I don't, I don't see how they can actually convince themselves that Hamler – will be the worst player, the, the, the less threatening target, uh, you know, especially by like October or something. And just the same, uh, while I was just saying that Jerry Judy should make it work somehow with Wilson, even if he's not, you know, the traditional Wilson receiver, it is only Hamler who can run those Tyler Lockett downfield routes. Like Judy just doesn't really have the speed to do it. Uh, he's probably about, uh, I don't know. He's just, he's just so skinny and, and Lockett is small of course, but he's also, you know, he's like kind of a dense little bullet uh, and he's faster than Judy. So it makes sense that he can get downfield uh, the way that he does. But Judy's more like a four, four, three, four, four, five guy. He's, he's lanky. He, it's easier to uh, grab him, especially if he's running in the straight line. It's not easy to grab him when he's, you know, breaking in routes and, and running uh, in different directions. But if he's got to race the defense, I don't think Judy, you know, is that kind of fast, whereas Hamler definitely is. And then, uh, Regular viewer, Johannes, brings up a good point. Wilson, very efficient quarterback. Notes uh, back in 2020 when they officially let Russ cook. Uh, what a glorious eight weeks that was <laughs> to start the season. And then uh, he basically became unstartable by the time that the fantasy playoffs came around. Uh, and then, you know, last year, last year, I don't know, it was just kind of kind of a mess o- overall. But, you know, d- does that – you know, how does that inform kind of your thoughts on how this Denver offense functions? Because they obviously also have one of the best backfields um, in the league. And I think it, it'd be foolish for them to, to, you know, kind of askew that or, or to remove that to a certain percentage um, when, when you have guys like Javante Williams and a still productive Melvin Gordon there. So it, does this become like a high efficiency, low volume type, type of passing attack? It's uh it's tough to know, in my opinion. I mean, I think the bigger Russell Wilson fans would tell you, oh, all the inconsistencies that they suffered, you know, the 
the constant pressure that Wilson seemed to deal with for eight years in a row or whatever it was, they'll, they'll tell you, well, that's just all in the Seahawks. And like Wilson transcended that, but you know, couldn't do anything about it in the end. And if they're right, then, you know, it's, it is going to be just a total bonanza in Denver with targets like these. If Wilson is the player they think he is, then he's just going to go completely nuts. But I don't think he's quite that good. I think he's very good. But to me, those plays where he's holding onto the ball forever, you know, he's, he's just getting hit a lot, running around from pressure a lot. I think he's holding onto the ball there, not because no one was open necessarily, but rather he, again, like we were talking about before, he, there are certain middle of the field areas that he struggles. And I think he, he's waiting for that kill shot downfield. Usually that play to lock it. That's so automatic when it's there in, in the Metcalf too, uh, in recent years. That was so automatic when it was there. The reason it seemed automatic was because he was only taking that shot when he knew he had it. And a lot of people saw that as like, oh, they were holding him back with low pass attempt volume by not giving him more shots. Like he's the one not taking the shot. So when he's when he's going cold for stretches, that's the defense doing the job right. It's not Wilson being you know left out to dry by Pete Carroll or the offensive line. Um, I don't have any real concerns about him struggling exactly in Denver. And I mean, he does have a little bit of a spread history. I guess it didn't go that well, but he played in kind of like a spread offense at North Carolina state before he went to Wisconsin to their, you know, I formation system that they more or less uh, mirrored with the Seahawks for so long. But um, I do think he's going to still have those plays where if, if it's, if it's just some guy in the middle of the field and it's under 12 yards and everybody else is covered, I think he might pat the ball and, you know, run around, get hit a little bit and, you know, do some of the, some, some of the same things that he did in Seattle. Uh, but what makes me a little bit more optimistic that, you know, even if he has some ugly moments, I think it'll be glossed over in fantasy at least because that should be a pretty up-tempo, high-scoring division. So at least during the divisional schedule, I think all the Chargers, uh, Chiefs, and uh, Raiders could be in the top five most up-tempo teams this year. And if, if something that that's not necessarily likely or whatever, but if that general trend occurs, then the, the Broncos play count is going to get dragged upward too. And the, the percentage of plays that they throw the ball rather than run it is going to go up too. So I think there could be a volume element there that's almost forced, like dictated by the division. Um, and I think you know, if anybody throws enough passes, you know, the yardage will kind of just pile up, even if it's not pretty or efficient. Right. Exactly. And with Wilson, you, you kind of feel like, I think Good. it'll be fine. Like, yeah. I like him more than someone like Dak Prescott this year. A lot of that's just that I'm, I'm worried for Dak and uh, the Cowboys offense. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as high on Wilson as some people, but I just can't really find cause for concern, really. So, you know, uh, landing the, the plane here, you know, what do you like both Sutton? Or, obviously, we mentioned that we don't have yeah. exposure to either just yet, but – do you, do you think that their current ADPs make sense? Do you think there's one one case where it's like, okay, no, just take this one and fade the other? Uh, you know, how do you end up approaching this for your drafts? Yeah, I don't want to say it doesn't make sense, but I don't have any picks of either Judy or Sutton. Maybe I have one of Sutton. I can't remember. If I did, it was kind of like I was in one of those situations where I felt, A, three, three-pronged thing. I needed a receiver. Uh, I already picked someone else probably too many times and needed to diversify. And like, even then I was, I was still kind of coin flipping in my head, like him or Judy, I don't know. Uh, but I, if I did take one, it would be Sutton because I, I can't see how he fails if not for injury with Judy, at least I can kind of see like 
if he's not getting in on the deep game at all, uh, if Okwebunum if and Hamler are, are taking stabs at that, I just think it's Judy who gets pinched first because I can't see him threatening downfield on the sideline the way Sutton can. So I guess I'm, I'm skipping Judy if I have to cut out one of them, but I, I don't know if I'm going to get much of either. Yeah, and, and uh, for the record, looking at, at Jerry Judy's player page over on rotowire.com, very useful information there. Pretty much all of his routes came out of the – or all of his snaps came out of the slot last year. Yeah, so I think I'd prefer like Allen Robinson, something like that. So uh, talk to me about him a little bit for for this year because I feel like the 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 time in Chicago – outside of what their, their playoff season in, in 2018, gosh, it's been that long. Um, you know, he, he's been a little bit, you know, in, incognito in a way, I feel like, you know, just by virtue of the, the rest of the Chicago offense really being bad that I've almost forgotten about Allen Robinson. So, th- you know, how, how do you think he works uh, in this Rams offense? It's not without risk. Uh, both Rob Robinson could be, more toast than I think uh, it's possible. Obviously, I don't think that, uh, but it was rough last year. It didn't go well at any point. I can't rule it out, uh, but I think things were dysfunctional enough on that team and that offense. And I think, uh, especially in the second half of the year when he came back from COVID and he, you know, he said he lost like 15 pounds in uh, a week or whatever it was, or 10 days or something like that. Uh, that just, it's a total contaminated sample. I don't care what happened mm-hmm. at that point. And I barely care about what happened in the earlier part. It was a small sample, too. It's like if he had two good games, as brutal as those first uh, seven or whatever were, if he had like two good games, it would be a totally different looking sample just because of you know how small it was. Uh, as far as how he fits with the Rams, uh, sorry, not just with him as their risk as far as how he fits with the Rams. Like Stafford's had some injury problems, too. And if Stafford's out, then put the whole offense is dead. Uh, not that Cup wouldn't be useful, but Robinson might struggle to be useful in that scenario. But if Stafford is out there, I do think Robinson is a better fit for Stafford than Robert Woods was. And Woods was, of course, a very good player for them, uh, excellent player for them. But I think Woods suits a horizontal offense rather than a vertical one. And Stafford is all vertical. Like he, He's just a vertical quarterback, no doubt. And that element is what a part of what opened up so much for Cup last year relative to past years. Um now, as Robinson slots in to, to basically uh, Woods's level of prominence, uh, I think you're going to see different kinds of routes. Like you're not going to see quite as many drag routes. You're not going to see, you know, the handoffs. Granted, you're not going to see those shovel passes quite so much. But what you will see is more sideline plays downfield, and particularly with defenses focusing on Cup. And I mean, also when you factor in McVay's uh, ability to kind of dictate personnel with his play calling and his personnel tendencies. You're going to get situations where Robinson's one-on-one with guys on the boundary, and they're going to have all these option routes that they can run in these situations to, to get around any zone conceivable. And uh, if Robinson is even like 85% of what he was even two years ago, he'll just murder in that role, I think. And uh, you know, maybe again, maybe he's busted. Maybe he gets hurt because he's he's always had a bit of an injury tendency, I guess, or you know, bad luck sure. at least. Um, Stafford has been, I feel like playing hurt almost like most of the past few years. And at some points it really was affecting him on the field. So, uh, I'm not without anxiety there, but it's just, uh, it's a lot. What is out of the question for me with Robinson is I don't see his share getting, you know, encroached upon by anybody else. It's out of the question. 
Yeah, that it's not the deepest group of receivers, you know. Once you get past those two, yeah, it sucks. They have a terrible depth chart with their backups. It's just awful. Okay, so so I'm you, you've uh, you've resold me on, on on Robinson. I think I, I need to go ahead and, and acquire some shares. I uh, got a couple questions to get to here. Julia wants to know how would you rank Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott? Oh, so it's a tricky one. Yeah, I might be in the extreme here, but I rank them in that order. I'm really worried about Dak Prescott because I think the Cowboys are going to have the wheels fall off this year. And uh, I'm I'm also worried about the wheels falling off the Cardinals, but Kyler at least still runs. You know, Dak isn't a runner anymore. Uh, Kyler has those games sometimes where he just takes over the entire game on like six carries. And that's definitely in play with him, even even as much as I'm concerned about that team. Yeah, no, I I think that that. I think I might consider Kyler first among that group. I, totally I, fair. Yeah, I don't feel strongly about it or anything. You know, I, I, I think that with, by the end of, you know, the, the building of, you, of your best ball portfolios, the end of draft season, I think it's smart to have a decent chunk of both Kyler um, and Russell Wilson this year. Uh, got another one here uh, circling back to, to our Sutton and Allen Robinson conversation. Who do you prefer in PPR? I'd take Robinson, you know, uh, if we're okay, talking like 10 we times, it. at least eight or something. All right, here it is. Um, so let's go ahead. Let's round it out. Let's get on over to the Chargers. Um, so Keenan Allen talked about him briefly earlier on the show when we were talking about the decision or my decision in Fishbowl to go with uh, Jalen Waddle over him. So you have Keenan Allen uh, who is going, wow, he's going like early third in, in NFFC. And then Mike Williams goes uh, mid fourth, uh, and then that a, PPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that that it is you know the kind of the the reasoning behind between the the gulf uh, between those two. Um, but they go AD, like they go uh, two picks up, or they go uh, in consecutive picks on underdog. By contrast, is, is all the reason I mentioned that. But uh, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so Keenan Keenan. I know he's he's basically boring at this point, but like we were saying before, limited as the, uh, limited as the ceiling might be, uh, the the floor is also the ceiling. So the amount of security that he gives you is pretty rare. And if you pull off the right roster construction, and all you need from him is that every single week, you know, eighteen to twenty two points or whatever, he can give you that. And you know, as as long as you don't need the thirty plus, he cannot hurt you. And and on the other side of that, he can give you a lot of security that most players can't. Um, I, I do find it kind of tough to like. I don't jump at the price at this point. Like it's it as much as uh, as much as the ceiling is limited, you don't get any discount with him at any any venue really. Um, so it's it's hard for me to take on big volume of Keenan Allen, but particularly when you got a Herbert team or you know if it's just. You have a bunch of teams and they haven't picked Keenan Allen in a while. Why the hell not? Go go take him. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just hard to see anything changing for the better with him because his whole function in that offense is he's just he takes he just lands all these jabs against the defense and it, it, that's his his role his his burden is to do that every play pretty much knowing that the defense knows it's going to him and he's he's got to just kind of stay at his feet and kind of keep grinding out yardage but he's never going to get the missed tackle or, or the, uh, you know, the botched coverage downfield to slip past the defense. Like they're just always going to be on him. Uh, and Eckler, uh, those two are just going to always have the defense on him. Even with Mike Williams emerging, I don't think this is up for, for any sort of change. Like 
Uh, Keenan Allen's usage last year was sky high, even with Williams taking a step forward. You know, uh, the kind of tension that there is uh, between his depth of target and the air yardage per snap is is really uncommon. Like Keenan Allen's depth of target was at 8.5 yards, which is 27th percentile among receivers, but his air yardage was 72nd percentile among receivers. And when you have that kind of disconnect between the depth of the target and the air yardage per target, it speaks to the fact that he's just constantly drawing targets because because otherwise they'd be more like in the same percentile. Um, so he's he's still that guy. And I, I, I do worry a little bit about decline at some point with him. Like he's never fast. And as much as it's tempting to think like, you know, well, he was always slow. Who cares if he slows down? That, that's not really how it works. If you go if you start out slow and you get slower, it will get bad. Uh, however, I just didn't see any signs of that last year. And I, okay. I guess, I guess it's a, I, I worry more about that. And I guess like next year, the year after than this year. Okay. So still, still viable as, as an early round selection. Um, and then, you know, feel like we've both kind of gone back and forth on Mike Williams at, at various points. I think he's, I think he's an interesting player. I thought last year he was, you know, obviously really good, uh, downfield player. I think that he's, he's the best. You know, not not that it needs to be a staple or should be a staple of your offense, but I don't think there's anyone better at the at the sideline jump ball than, than Mike Williams. But you know, again, that that's only a handful of times that you're going to see that be useful in in a given season. But I think that you know it's similar to what we were talking about with the Rams, where uh, that the depth just really drops off after the top two options to where like. You know, Keenan Allen is going to get as many targets as he can handle, but I think Mike Williams is, you know, ticketed for a good amount of targets as well. I mean, he jumped up from 85 to 129 last year. You see him, you know, reaching well over, uh, you know, 115, maybe into the 120s once again this year. And I think he's definitely still in his prime as well. Yeah, Williams took a step forward for sure last year, and I think it might have been as simple as his usage was – the way they used him in his route tree was more appropriate. Like earlier, I don't know why this, they even bothered with this under Anthony Lynn, but earlier they were trying to kind of make him always be downfield. And he just doesn't really have the speed for that. He's, he's, he's got the speed to beat you deep off the play action or something like that. Or when you, you know, you're going against a slow corner or something like that, but he doesn't have the speed to threaten vertically reliably. What he does have enough speed to do is in, like you said, he's got the you know catch radius, and uh, the ball skills to threaten consistently around, you know, 15 yards downfield rather than uh, a lot of his throws in the past would be, you know, 25, 30, something like that, which was why it was so easy to have low catch percentages too. It's hard to catch jump balls that far downfield. So I don't think there's anything of a mirage in last year's numbers. Like I think he's going to keep those gains because they're going to keep using him the same way, which, which is, uh, you know, I, I think the explanation for the improvement, but I do have trouble imagining growth there. Like when we were talking about Herbert, maybe being top quarterback this year, I don't know where that growth as a passer is going to come from. I think Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are both maxed out um, as fantasy picks. I'm not going to take huge volume of either. Uh, I'm going to try to take some measured exposure. Um, Cause I, I don't think they, they, they can give you a whole lot of profit. I think it's one of those cases like, if all you need is last year's numbers, then they'll give you that. But you're paying last year's price too, you know. Or, you know the price based on that. Like you're not, you're not getting them at a at a low pr- price point. You're not going to sell them any higher later. So uh, th- they're only going to give you like an even return. And and uh, if you need more than that, they they might, you know, not that they'll be the reason you failed or whatever, but they, they won't be part of the answer necessarily. 
Okay. And, and so, you know, with, with, with all that in mind and, and, you know, kind of going further into, into the idea of Herbert being uh, the potential QB one this year. So do, do, does that just kind of have to come from, from the rushing production in that case? Is there, is there any other kind of like a little bit candidate in the past? A little game? bit. And the other part is I, I do think regression on Allen's point total, Josh Allen's point total is necessary for that. Like, I don't, I don't think Herbert's going to overtake the point per game figure that Allen showed last year. It's going to take some regression, there uh to get herbert there but you know a couple rushing touchdowns more especially if he if you get like three i mean hell didn't he have like three rushing touchdowns against wisconsin in a bowl game alone like, oh, yeah and the, yeah in the rose bowl he's a really great athlete actually and i know it's mm-hmm. it's not good to expose him to hits they don't have to but he's the kind of guy who should be able to just you know bless you, uh run away from tacklers every once in a while like he doesn't need to just get like eaten up between the, this isn't the belldozer formation, you know, just let, let him run off tackle. He'll probably break the corner occasionally and uh, just, you know, run for 20 yards and get out of bounds. Uh, stuff like that. I think they could look into, uh, but I, I will want to mention, I want to mention quickly. Some people seem to think like Josh Palmer overtook Jalen Guyton last year. And that's not what happened. Josh Palmer got more playing time at certain points when Allen was missing time because he's his backup. And when Allen's on the field, Palmer is more like a swing, swing backup and uh, you know, a four wide player. They're going to keep Guyton at that spot, or at least if they don't, uh, I'm all of a sudden very worried about my, you know, Herbert QB one potential. I, I think it's out of the question if they if they make that offense even slower, uh, it's it can get more difficult. No, it, yeah, it absolutely could. So, um, you know, they need someone to like help Brandon Staley not outthink himself. So, Homer could be really productive though if Allen gets hurt. Okay, noted, 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 um, and then. Any like uh, late round curiosity in any of the tight ends? Uh, for the Chargers? Yeah. No, uh, I know there's still some Gerald Everett apologia out there. Uh, it's not going to be from him. I mean, I know Jared Cook sucked, but you got basically the same problems with Everett, except he's actually uh, not as fast as as uh, Jared Cook is. Right, exactly. So but there's an issue uh, with that. And then round it out with, with one last question from Julia. Uh, Josh Palmer or Jalen Guyton for PPR? Uh, definitely Palmer. The one thing about Guyton is he's one of those guys who can play a lot of snaps and do nothing with them. Uh, he's, he's a classic decoy. Whereas if Palmer's on the field, if he's getting snaps, he's going to get actual targets every so often. He's, he's not going to be doing distance running to take the safety out of the frame like Guyton does. Mario, I have good news for you, and it's breaking. Uh, really? Oh. So what, what we've been expecting for forever – is finally happening. Uh, the Browns have traded Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers for a 2024 <laughs> conditional fifth round pick. Instant reacts. Mm. We need we need a gif of your reaction. There, I feel so like we'll, I feel we'll like this is um, they have to make this a reality TV show. It, it's a sin to not uh, do some kind of uh, I don't know. Like they have to do like a real world the 2022 Carolina Panthers real world Charlotte. <laughs> the, this team is going to be memorably stupid. Uh, they, look, I, I think Baker Mayfield could have helped things maybe in Seattle. And, and I'm, I think he's kind of not very good, but the problem here is that team is so cursed. It doesn't really matter what Baker Mayfield is about. And incidentally, I, I happen to think he, he's probably not the kind of character to, to improve the situation. You know, he's, he has no reason to be happy. He's going to be sulking and, it, you know, he's going to be, there's going to be bitterness and jealousy and sulking on this team. That's just doomed and can't do anything. Uh, 
it's going to be a pretty dark place, I think. Uh, I'll I'll go the other way, and I'll just say that this uh, Panthers to the playoffs now. Absolutely, this, yeah. I mean, I've always said Matt Rule is, is a smart guy, and it, like Steve Spurrier showed uh, in his stint with the NFL in the times with success at Florida, you got to rotate your quarterbacks, even if they're exactly the same guy, uh, <laughs> even if even if they have no meaningful distinction with their traits, rotate them, keep the defense guessing. Uh, this kind of trickery will will probably just catch the league by surprise, and uh, yeah, the, they've solved their problems. Yep, the, this this fixes everything. Uh, man, uh, the 2018 draft class just fascinating. You get you get Baker, you get Sam Darnold, you get Josh Rosen. Uh. <laughs> yeah, um, man, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's bleak, and it's it's this something strange, and you know like literally dramatic about Baker Mayfield ending up in him and Darnold ending up in this same like pit of hell. Yeah. Just uh, being cast offs. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's like a fever dream scenario or something. I, it is funny how like this, how open of a secret, like it, it was going to be that, uh, you know, the, the Browns were going to basically have to move Mayfield or there was going to be no way that Mayfield was going to play for them. And then they're the only two, possible trade candidates were Seattle and Carolina. So it just felt how much imagine how much, uh, how uninterested Seattle actually was that they let this go for a fifth rounder. Uh, maybe I should, maybe we should wait to see what the, uh, the money details are. Like maybe that's where the the significance of all this lies. Like it would be really funny if the Panthers ate a ton of money to dig, to make this trade. Like if they ate a bunch of, uh, the, the cap penalty that the Browns would otherwise have to take to make this trade on such a mammoth contract. Okay, um, I, got, I do have some details there. Uh, from Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network, the Browns will pay Baker Mayfield $10.5 million this season, which means they trimmed over $8 million in cash and salary cap space. The Panthers will pay Mayfield about $5 million. Mayfield agreed to trim about $3.5 million off of his base salary to help uh, grease the skids of this trade. Wow. Um, yeah, okay, so... Uh, we know Seattle either did not want to give up a fifth rounder or, and, uh, was not willing to eat 8 million to make this happen. So, uh, uh, not that this is pertinent to what we were going with, uh, you know, the subjects before, but it, it is going to be the Geno Smith show in Seattle. <laughs> uh, that, all right. We got, we got a special episode on, on that, uh, coming, uh, later this summer. So stay tuned for that. But, um, fun, always fun to have a little bit of breaking news on the show. Um, and it, it, we were really about about to uh, about to land it uh, after the the Jalen Guyton and um, J- Jared Cook discussion. It was like, all right, we're we're probably good here. But you're gonna see a lot of stuff too, really quick. You're gonna see some stuff like, oh, DJ Moore is wheels up now. It's like, I love DJ Moore. It is not wheels up. <laughs> Just yeah, no. That he's sitting on the tarmac for um, at least another year. I think is pretty much stormy. how stormy characterize that. Yeah, stormy it's there. Stormy in this out airport there, analogy. Yeah. Um. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner and Reality Sports Online. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.